on the last year of the second millennium, five hundred years before the rule of the most benevolent Emperor Kalfranz, there fell a time unlike any other, just as he had before the birth of the divine Sigma. The wings of fire in the sky again heralded the coming of great things, the coming of plague, the coming of war, the coming of pestilence and hunger. Though its unholy name is now stricken from the records of the great library of Altov, and its ruins raised by Magnus the saviour of the empire, I would tell you the tale of the cursed city, brought low by the wrath of gods. I would tell you the tale of Mordheim. Welcome to the first episode of Town Crier, a series of Mordheim specials via the Old World Lives podcast. I'm Jimmy, the Mordheim maniac of our group, and, uh, well... Since I'm doing this episode alone, it might sound like weird as I'm talking to myself and not to someone else. So I hope you can all bear with it. I was first introduced to Mordheim in 2001, uh, and I had seen it being played at our local gaming store and uh, the gaming club for some time, and uh, I decided to join in. I was tossed into using pretty much all the alternative rules at the time. Uh, being those from the rulebook as well as uh, those released in Tancry through the years. Uh, like the Trial Parry rules, uh, which was just like the old Necromunda and Gorka Worker rules, uh, where you force the enemy to reroll a successful hit instead of rolling above their results. Uh, and uh, in the late years of Tancryer, uh, they released rules for settlements, uh, which adds a little more depth to the campaigns, and we started to use those as well. My uh, my first warband was the Skaven, and my goal with them was to field as many fighting claws as I possibly could. Uh, and uh, I was aware of the dreaded sling spam, uh, but I loved the idea of assassins climbing up on rooftops and throwing themselves at the prey, attacking them fanatically with the claws, much like the gut runners in uh, the Vermintide games. Uh, aside from the heroes with uh, with fighting claws, I fielded a steady group of verminkin with spear and shield uh, since I did enjoy the rules to strike first when I was charged uh, and these are the proper rules for striking first as it was ruled in the original released rules and uh, there were some silent years with a short burst of campaigns up until around 2010 uh, when I got in contact with a local gaming club which I had totally missed out on uh, the people there, there were mostly into role-playing games, card games, and uh, a lot of them had played Warhammer in the days of old, like 4th and 5th edition Fantasy or 2nd edition 40k. And uh, a lot of them wanted to get back into miniature gaming in one way or another, and uh, I introduced them all to Mordheim, and uh, this was because it didn't need a large number of models in it. I also started to play some Necromunda as well, but that doesn't have any place here. This is for more time. And uh, these skirmish games grew into a big success. As uh, time passed, I created a few warbands. More unpainted ones that are still in bits boxes than the painted ones. Uh, but we all ended up playing mostly with painted warbands as I bought my current Mordheim table back in 2012. And uh, fast forward a few years and numerous campaigns with this table, uh, me and a few friends got tired of the whole gaming club life uh, since uh, there's a lot of hassle having a club. 
and uh, we decided to get a place of ourselves. Uh, so we found a great little venue where we could pool all our terrain and resources together. Uh, we still have this haven of ours, but uh, at a different location with the same people. But for the moment, my Mordheim table is at home, uh, and we mostly play 40k, 30k, and Warhammer Fantasy Battles in that place. And uh, how did Mordheim get so stuck with me, you might ask? Uh, part of it is because it's easier to add a nice narrative to settings such as Mordheim, uh, and giving each hero or henchman group some sort of personality uh, which might affect gameplay choices, actually, uh, depending on how much you want to roleplay with the guys. Also, there's the endless conversion possibilities. I, for one, love to convert models, which you might know, and it's a lot of easier to convert a small warband of 8 to 15 models than a whole army of hundreds of miniatures. Uh, and I also like the progress with the high-risk, high-reward system. Uh, I mean, it's always fun Sometimes not with the uh, with all the injuries that you can get, and uh, there's also endless ways to add in supplements and things like the uh, Empyrean Flames if you like uh, the wilderness, uh, or uh, things like Lustria if you have a lot of jungle terrain. If you have uh, dungeon boards, you just could play the Karak Asgal. It's like it's endless. There's a lot of cool. Uh, su supplements that you can use for your games of Mordheim uh, to represent any place in the old world, actually. So that's a little bit brief Mordheim history for me, uh, and uh, some hobby progress. I'm currently not working on anything. Uh, I do have some projects which are on hold, like the Undead that I'm building for my brother, and the Sisters of Sigmar that I'm planning for myself. But I did, uh, not recently, but I did paint up a Bounty Hunter Hired Sword, uh, whom I named Thorn the Deserter. And he has proven to be quite useful and a thorn in the side of my enemies, capturing characters from left to right. Uh, and that does give a nice piece of income for my Warband. I also built and painted the Town Crier NPC from uh, Town Crier number 22, uh, and this little fella can randomly appear during games, briefly, and casting curses on Warband members on either side. Uh, I did have a few recent games, uh, trying out a new campaign system uh, based on the supplement from Bordetown Burning, but using rules for normal Mordheim. Uh, and don't worry, I'll cover this in a future episode. During the latest game that I played, I filled my Parade of Parody, uh, which are models based from Mordheim artwork, and I used the rules as human mercenaries. More precisely, I used the rules for Marienburgers, since they give me a bit more of gold, and my uh, champions get access to speed skills, which is uh, very usable for them. Uh, we played the game Ambush. And uh, one warband was uh, the Cult of the Possessed, and the other warband was Reitlanders. And uh, I was the one who had the highest rating, so I started out in the middle with uh, D3 Wordstone shards on each hero. And the objective is to try to escape with all the shards within 10 turns while being surrounded with these enemies. During this game, I had a lot of hired swords, thanks to a few well-spent well gold coins, as well as a few lucky rolls of triple six during the previous three exploration phases. 
I had my ogre, the butcher, who single-handedly upheld an entire warband of the cult of the possessed. I was also lucky that the town crier appeared during this game and upheld the Rakelander's warband. Casting curses on them and stopping them from running towards me is like I had pretty much an open way going out. Uh, during the game, the town crier cast curse on one enemy champion and he was teleported to the highest point of the table and he had to take an initiative test or fall down. He did fall down. And if this wasn't bad luck enough, uh, the previous turn, a Chaos Spawn had randomly appeared from a table that's close to him. So he landed two inches away from the spawn. It just wasn't this guy's day today. Just before the spawn could get a chance to attack this guy, I managed to leave the table with all the wordstone shards. So the Rakelanders had tried to do all they could to get rid of the town crier, and they didn't succeed. Their captain was also teleported up onto the same position where the champion had been teleported, but he didn't fail his initiative test, so he was kind of stuck up on the roof. And the ogre, he had taken down about a third of the possessed warband by himself. And he was surrounded by mutants, possessed, everything. He just stood up against everything that was sent against him. Thankfully to uh, the skill resilient, uh, so he effectively had toughness 5, so to say. This helped out a lot. And yeah, as I won the game, I left the board with 11 shards in total. And the only model that I lost from my hired swords was my Freelancer Knight. I lost two henchmen as well. They were easily replaced with all the gold that I got after this game. The other guys, they had heavier casualties. One of the mutants was beaten to death by the ogre. And with a luck expiration phase, I got the triple six and the Freelancer Knight got back again. And with the remaining riches, I could replace the lost henchmen. So uh, let's move on to the pin board. The pin board is a section where your listeners can ask any kind of questions, and I'll try to answer them as best as I can, uh, unless this question is part of a future episode's content. And uh, the first question comes from Chris, my co-host from the Old World Lives, and he wonders what's a good loadout on a pit fighter warband. And uh, thanks for asking, Chris. Uh, I can't say that I'm a professional regarding this warband. But I made a starting warband, and I think I would feel something like this myself, with a mix of modeling opportunities as well as how they would perform. And here's the list. A Pit King with the Chaos Style. A Troll Slayer with the Spike Gauntlet and a Dwarf Axe. A Pit Veteran with the Undead Style. And a Pit Veteran with the Orc Style. I would also have three pursuers as separate groups, all with skink style having tridents and bucklers. The idea is to have a hard-hitting leader from the beginning, uh, which the flail really helps out with, uh, giving him strength 6 in the first turn of a combat. Uh, his armor also gives him a slight survivability in the early games. The slayer could of course go with two door two The slayer could of course <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> I shouldn't drink while I record. The Slayer could of course go with uh, two Dwarf Axes uh, for the same gold cost and be more effective. But come on, a Slayer with the Spike Gauntlet would look so much cooler. And uh, maybe considering giving him a Morningstar instead of an Axe. But uh, yeah, a, a Dwarf Axe is, is kind of a must for a Slayer if you ask me. 
the veterans are pretty straightforward, picking undead style to be able to parry early in games, crucial at times. Uh, the pursuers would be my early to go henchmen, using them as separate groups for a higher chance to make them heroes. Their stats are pretty generic compared to the other henchmen that I can have, but where these guys excel is their built-in special rule, Evade. For those who don't know, when pursuers are charged by enemies, the pursuers may take an initiative test. If they pass the test, they consider the charge a failed one. So this can be combined with a few juicy skills for a pursuer hero, if you get one. Or two. Uh, for later games, I would add in some cheap pit fighters with the orc style, uh, since it's cheap as well. And uh, a thing to remember is that you can re-equip with uh, mixes of new weapons eventually. Uh, you're not bound by the weapon styles that you use, they're just sets that you use, so you can swap into anything. And uh, another good thing is that you can mix weapons in henchmen groups. They all don't need to have the same fighting style. Uh, which makes these guys quite unique. Uh, so you just need to keep track on the individual models on the battlefield though. Like uh, when a henchman group carries a shard, you just need to note down which model carries the shard. And I would love to see an ogre fielded as well, uh, and hope that it becomes a hero as well. Uh, I don't know how I would make a starting warband with an ogre though, but I might make one someday. The other post that I got is from MechBoyMatt on Instagram. It's about Death Stars, when you put your entire warband in a single blob. It's for sure a great tactic, but awfully boring to face. Uh, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I do prefer to divide my warband into two or more groups and move them around, uh, hoping that they can support each other or just look quite cool on the table. Uh, an example of this is my Witch Hunters. I have my Flagellants close to my Warrior Priest, and if I have any Zealots, I also let them tag along. Uh, and uh, sometimes I, uh, I do add one or two Zealots to my Witch Hunters, but uh, mostly they tag along with my Warrior Priest and my Flagellants. And uh, one Witch Hunter always walks along with my War Dogs on a single flank. Uh, looks good, like he's seeking the dogs on the enemies. Uh, so it fits thematically and uh, also kind of works tactically, depending on the equipment you have and relevant skills in the heroes. I mean, if you have sprint, he can run along with the dogs. If uh, if it's your captain who runs along with the dogs, then you can boost them with their leadership, since leadership on the dogs are five and the captain have eight for the beginning of the campaign. So he would keep them in line so they can charge fear-causing enemies since dogs are very good at attacking with their weapon skill and strength 4. Uh, another example is my own Marienburgers, where a single foppish, quite over-equipped Youngblood, who is supposed to be a duelist, leads my two swordsmen towards the enemies. And uh, so he's like the duelist in my warband every single time, even though his stat lines are crap. But he will do anything he can, along with his two bodyguards, so to say, to start duels amongst enemy heroes. Uh, and my captain is always accompanied by one of my champions as a bodyguard. Uh, so 
just try to divide your warbands when playing. Don't move them in like a huge blob. It's it's not fun unless both players do it. But uh, try to try to let these little cells of models help each other out on the way to the enemy in one way or another. And time for some basic Mordheim lore and some warband lore as well. Uh, Mordheim, the city of the damned, was once a mighty imperial city the former capital of the Ostermark province, and it was destroyed by Twintail Comet of Warpstone in the year of 1999 in the Imperial Calendar. Once a mighty city that could rival many others within the Empire of Man, Mordheim grew decadent with corruption. And as these multitudes of people gathered for the arrival of the Twintail Comet, it is said that Sigmar judged them false and smited the city, killing all those left within. Now it's a dead city, where only the foolish, mad, or greedy would seek to venture forth, either to plunder the riches of the ruins or covet the green shards of the comet-born warpstone that laced the entire city with corruption. And uh, now it's time for a bit of Mordheim warp and lore. Uh, I will read this part from the Mordheim rulebook, where Luther Wolfenbaum talks about every warband present. Listen to me, boy. There are many in Mordheim who you must face. Men from the lands of Middenheim to as far as Marienburg have staked their claim upon this forsaken city. Then there are the Ratmen, the Walking Dead, and those crazed witch hunters. So seeing as I'm feeling generous, I will describe them all. Then maybe you'll have an idea of what you're up against. So pay attention, boy. For this information just might save your life. The possessed, the damned, the boogeymen. These scum are the worst of the worst. They are dangerous creatures, perhaps more so than any other group in this entire city. This chaos-worshipping scum consists of mutants, beastmen and cultists, and even worse things called the possessed. If you ever let them get close to you, you'll be in big trouble. There are few who are a match for this scum in close quarters. The restless dead plague Mordheim. Zombies, ghouls, and huge hellhounds prowl the streets, and woe to anyone caught by them. He'll be eaten alive or end up as one of the walking corpses himself. I lost my eye to one of the fanged horrors who leads the undead, and let me tell you, the thing was not human. I put my sword through it, and it still kept coming! Witch hunters will burn you and your warband if you give them the slightest reason. They are well armed and equipped and show no mercy to anyone who dares to stand in the way. They are followed everywhere in Mordheim by a rabble of fanatics and those crazed flagellants. One word from a witch hunter and they'll tear you apart, burn you, decapitate you, and excommunicate you from the grace of Sigma. Middenheimers, those northerners are nutters, madmen, berserkers! They are as strong as ogres and meaner than orcs. Watch out for them in close quarters. The chances are that they'll crush your skull with a hammer or behead you with one of those hefty axes that they carry along with them. Ah, the Rakelander, the finest of men. Disciplined, magnificent archers and good, solid warriors. Rakelanders need the best leader, so you better shape up, boy. For these warriors are good in almost all the skills of war and they are far more likely to hold the nerve than others in more time. And don't believe everything those witch hunters say about the sisters. 
They're no more heretics than I, and I'll skewer any man who says different. Not that the sisters needs looking after. They're mean fighters, and you gotta be tough just to live like you do in that big fortress in the middle of Mordheim. Skaven. These are no ordinary vermin. Big as a man, and fast on their feet, and smart too. Not like the common rats. The whole city's full of them. And worse of it is that they're waiting in the old drains and sewers, watching for a chance to catch you on your own. Let them, and you're a dead man. The rich boys of Marienburg. Never turn your back on them. I'll grant them this. They are completely ruthless and have more money than anyone else. Hardly surprising, as those fat leeches of the merchant's guild fill their coffers. That's why they have such good armor and weapons. And usually a few more men as well. Don't let their fancy clothes and flash jewelry fool you, though. They're not wearing those weapons just for show. They know how to use them as well. So, there you have it. You'll encounter all those motley crews in Mordheim sooner or later. Each has its own weakness, but each also has its strength that you must learn how to deal with. Remember, it is a foolish to rush into close combat with the possessed scum. You'll only get killed. Neither should you try to outpace the Skaven vermin, for they're as fast as Quicksilver. If you heed nothing else, lad, remember this. Make your warband as flexible as possible so that you are prepared for almost anything that this cursed city will throw at you. Well, now we're past that, uh, so let's put this behind us. Uh, we have the warbands of the rulebook to go through. Uh, I will just touch them just slightly, uh, not going through all the spells or like all the stats and everything. But uh, let's start out with mercenaries. Uh, mercenaries is a warband made up of humans, and their choice of warriors is the captain, the champion, and youngbloods. These are their heroes. Uh, they can also have warriors, marksmen. Uh, these are henchmen who can have access to more exotic and stronger uh, missile weapons like blunderbuss and uh, handguns. And in the Rakelander's case, they also get plus one ballistic skill. And then we have the Swordsmen, who start out with the Skill Expert Swordsman. Uh, the the Rakelanders, like I mentioned, get plus one ballistic skill on their uh, archers, and their marksmen, so to say. Uh, and their captain also lends his leadership to models within 12 inches instead of those within 6 inches, like they normally do. Uh, Middenheimers, who are quite the combat specialists, uh, get plus one strength on their captains and champions, so they start with strength four instead of strength three. Marienbergers, on the other hand, they get no stat bonuses, but they get money. So they start the game or the campaign with either 100 extra gold in the case for a campaign or 20% more gold when recruiting for a one-off game. And Marienbergers also get plus one looking for rare items in the trading section after each game. The skills also separates all these warbands quite a bit. Rakelanders are well-versed and pretty much all around when you go through all their heroes. Captains have combat shooting, academic strength and speed. Champions have combat shooting and strength, so they can shoot and they can fight. And Youngbloods have combat shooting and speed. So this makes them quite well versed. Uh, you can equip your heroes for combat or shooting. 
to me, young bloods are supposed to run around and pick up word stones, so speed skills are good for them in the beginning. Giving them a shooting weapon is not bad, uh, but it's not really good since their ballista skill is 2. So they are better in close quarters. Weapon skill 2 isn't going to win you any battles. Also, champion can shoot, but the combination of combat and strength skills gives him the opportunity to wield a double-handed weapon and strike in initiative order, and giving him skills like uh, step aside to keep him alive. The Middenheimer mercenaries, just, just like the Rakelanders, the captain have access to all skills. Champions have combat, strength and speed, and the Youngbloods also have combat, strength and speed, just like the champions. So, just looking at the skills, they're supposed to be strong and fast and good in combat. Marienbergers, on the other hand, the captain have the same skill tree, like the other captains. And then the champions have combat, shooting and speed. And Youngbloods have combat shooting speed. To help mercenaries from Marienburg out, I would suggest using combination of skills and maybe some specific items like uh, drugs or poisons to get the upper hand, since you don't have access to strength skills apart from your captain and possible Lanska talent warriors, marksmen or swordsmen. Middenheimers are obviously for close quarters. Uh, you can have some missile support. And uh, weapons that look good and are fluffy on them are bows and longbows. You can, of course, use black powder weapons. It's not killing their lore. It's just a very unusual. Uh, of course, there are Middenheimers who use black powder weapons. But they're rare, since they are quite traditionalistic. Is that a word? But yeah, pretty much like dwarfs. Marienbergers, uh, they can fill the roles for shooting and combat. Uh, you can either drown your opponents in sheep henchmen, or you can over-equip your heroes. And you can go both the, the combat and shooting direction with the warband. Having that extra gold really helps out, especially if you like to over-equip your heroes. Uh, I always give my captain a piece of heavy armor to dueling pistols at times, and uh, just putting light armor on every other hero. Since I like putting armor on my models, I use up pretty much all my 100 extra gold on armor. Rakelanders, perfect if you want to make a shooting warband, or perfect if you want to build an all-around warband. So you're quite well-versed in both shooting and combat. Their skills are pretty much all around as well, which gives them nice, nice playing variations. And now, let's go to the Cult of the Possessed. Uh, strictly, if you ask me, a close combat warband. They have access to bows and short bows, but their strength lies in their possessed. And their warband are consisting of the Magister, he's a leader. Uh, he can also use spells. We have the possessed, which are very, very strong guys. They have great strength, toughness, wounds and attacks. They have fear, they can have mutations, and mutation helps out with the warband quite a lot. Then they have mutants. Uh, mutants is pretty much a normal human, uh, and they must have at least one mutation. For every mutation that they buy after the first, they double in price. So make if you're having multiple mutations, make sure that you pay for the most expensive first. You can have up to two of each of the Possessed and Mutants. Then they have some different henchmen. They have the Dark Souls. 
which are failed experiments, so to say. They couldn't be the demon host for long enough to become possessed. So their minds are ravaged and broken. So their combat stats are bad. Their strength is good. Their special rule, Crazed, is a good rule as well, since they automatically pass any leadership test that they are required to take. Uh, I love it when my Dark Souls become heroes. It's always fun to give them a couple of skills. And yeah, just utilizing this uh, crazed special rule. Uh, so hoping he gets Frenzy. And uh, you could feed him Madcap Mushrooms for Frenzy. And uh, be immune to the bad effects of the mushrooms since you can get stupidity. Anyhow, uh, brethren. Basically normal humans. Equip them cheaply if you want to. Go... Go nuts if you want to, but I, I prefer to keep them cheap because they are cultists. They're supposed to be in robes, carrying daggers, maces, axes, maybe a spear if they're a guard or something. And uh, then we have their final henchman, which is Beastmen. Uh, you can have up to three of those guys. They're quite durable for a henchman since they have toughness four and two wounds. And having multiple wound henchmen is fantastic. And uh, if you're lucky enough, he might turn into a hero quite early. So you'll have uh, two wounded heroes quite fast with this warband. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, they can have mutations, which gives them uh, either some special rules or extra stat lines or extra attacks, depending on which kind of mutation you take. Oh, I forgot to go through the skills for the possessed. Uh, the Magister, he can have combat and academic and speed skills. Uh, the Possessed, combat, strength and speed, while the Mutants have combat and speed. So they are, like I mentioned earlier, quite combat oriented. So uh, then we have the Witch Hunters. Uh, Witch Hunters are quite unique in their warband, how you build them, since you can only have 12 models in your warband. And the leader, Witch Hunter Captain, have the same kind of skill tree like the other human mercenaries. So combat shooting, academic strength and speed. Uh, you can have up to three Witch Hunters, which have combat shooting, academic and speed. And uh, Warrior Priests also have combat academic strength. So this whole warband have access to academic skills, which uh, gives you the opportunity to go nuts in the post-game phase if you have the right skills, like Wordstone Hunter or uh, Streetwise. I always try to get as much uh, Wordstone Hunter as I can in my warband, since uh, it does help giving them the much-needed gold to keep their flagellants uh, flocking to the warbands. The Warband's henchmen have access up to five flagellants, uh, which have maximized stats on three of them in the beginning, which is strength, toughness, and leadership. Uh, much like their uh, possessed counterparts, the Dark Souls, these guys are fanatical, and they automatically pass all leadership-based tests they are required to take, and they can never become a Warband leader. And they have access to only high-strength close combat weapons like flails, morning stars, and double-handed weapons. The morning star is there just in case uh, a flagellant becomes a hero, and in case he loses an arm, which uh, is quite possible in uh, more time, since uh, injuries are prone to happen. Uh, then you can have up to five war dogs. Uh, they're fast, they're cheap, they're quite good. Uh, even if they can't level up, uh, they are very, very good henchmen. And good meat shields as well. 
then they have access to zealots. It's uh, they're like the basic humans with worse weapon skill and ballista skill. And uh, just like the brethren of the cult of the possessed, keeping them sheep is their way to go. Uh, and the warrior priests have access to prayers, which uh, oppose, as opposed to uh, wizards and spells, uh, a warrior priest can cast a prayer even though he's carrying armor. So he can have a shield, he can have a helmet, or he can have armor on his body. It doesn't stop him from casting a prayer. Then we have the Sisters of Sigmar. Uh, their choice of warriors is uh, Sigmarit Matriarch, uh, who have combat, academic, strength, speed, and special skills. Then they have up to three Sister Superiors, who have combat, academic, strength, speed, and special as well. And then they have the Ogre. Ogre? Augur? 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 Ogre? I don't know how it's pronounced, but Augur. I'm going to say Augur who have academic speed and special. Uh, so just like their witch hunter counterparts, they all have access to academic skills, uh, which can help them a lot post-game with, uh, with skills like Words and Hunter. They also have their own special skills. I'm going to go through them a bit quickly here. Uh, they have the Sign of Sigmar, and uh, the sisters favored by the great god Sigmar, possessed or undead opponents, lose their first attack against the priestess of the, in the first round of hand-to-hand -hand combat, down to a minimum of one. This is nice. Uh, they can have the righteous fury. The sister feels a cold fury and utter contempt towards the evil that pollutes the soil and of the empire with the presence. The model hates all Skaven, Undead, or Possessed Warbands, and all models in them, so they also hate their uh, hired swords. And hatred can be a strong weapon in this game. Then they have the Protection of Sigmar. The sister has been blessed by the High Matriarch, uh, and uh, any spell which would affect her is nullified on a d6 roll of 4+. Note that if the spell is nullified, it will not affect any other models either. Wow, this is nice, because some spells have an area of effect once it's been cast, like uh, uh, Skaven, Warpfire, or whatever it's called. And uh, then we have Absolute Faith. The sister puts her faith in Sigmar and faces dangers unflinchingly. She may reroll any fear test and does not have to test if she's fighting alone in, against several opponents, so she rerolls fear tests and is immune to all alone. And then we have Utter Determination. Only the matriarch can have this skill, which makes her able to reroll any failed roll tests, uh, so they can stay and fight for longer. Uh, apart from these heroes and these skills that they can have when they level up, they can have novices, up to 10 of them, which is the cheapest henchman in the game going... <laughs> cheapest human henchman in the game, sorry. Uh, which costs 15 gold crowns apiece. Uh, they have stats akin to the uh, to the young bloods of the mercenaries. And then we have the Sigmarit sisters, which are pretty much normal humans. And uh, this warband is more prone to fight in close combat using their hammers and whips and maces and flails uh, rather than shooting. They have access to slings, but we all know that doing a sling spam is boring, but for all means, at least use a couple of slings. Giving them this ranged combat is, uh, is much needed for the sisters. Then they have the special weapon, Sigmarit Warhammer and the Steel Whip. And the, they have kind of different rules depending on if you play the revised rules or the original rules. 
uh, my group plays with the original rules, so I'm going to read how these are from the rulebook that I have in my hand. Uh, Sigmarit Warhammer, plus one strength. They have concussion like hammers normally do, and they have the rule holy. And a holy weapon gets uh, plus one to wound against possessed or undead models. And only matriarchs and sister superiors can carry two Sigmarit Warhammers. Then we have the Steel Whip. It can be used in close combat, uh, but it cannot be parried. And it has the rule Reach, which makes the sister able to attack enemy models up to 4 inches away from her in the hand-to-hand -hand combat phase, using her weapon skill and her number of attacks. So if she has 2 attacks, she can make 2 whip attacks in the close combat phase. Uh, these rules are revised into something else in the revised rules that were released in 2010, I think. Uh, so they work a little bit differently in the revised rules. And the matriarch can use prayers of Sigmar just like her warrior priest counterpart. Then we have the undead. Uh, the undead are led by a vampire with access to combat, academic and strength as well as speed. Uh, they have their necromancers, second in command, academic and speed skills, and they have their dregs, their human servants, who have combat and strength skills. The henchmen for the undeads are zombies, direwolves, who both are undead, uh, and being undead, they cannot run, they cause fear, they are immune to psychology, immune to poison, they treat stunned results as knockdown instead, and uh, neither can gain experience. The zombies are quite cheap, uh, so you can field a lot of them. They can't run. Uh, the direwolves, uh, quite hard hitting. Uh, movement 9, they have strength 4, and on the charge, 2 attacks. But neither of these can become heroes. Uh, that's where the ghouls comes in. Uh, the ghouls have terrible fighting stat lines with weapon skill 2. Uh, strength 3, so mediocre. Uh, toughness 4, which is good, and 2 attacks. They are quite expensive, but they cause fear, and they can become heroes. Uh, regarding the heroes, uh, let's start out with a necromancer. Basic human stat line, so he's not that great, but his skills lies with his wizardry, because he can use necromancy spells. Uh, dregs, they're sheep, kinda. Uh, weapon skill plus skill 2, so they're not good fighters, they're not good at shooting. And uh, the undead have very limited shooting. Only heroes can use weapons of the shooting kind, so only only bows and short bows can be used. The vampire is the best fighter on them all. Uh, what makes the vampire so special is that when he dies, only the necromancer can take over the warband. But the thing is, normally you can't buy a new leader, but when the vampire die, you can buy a new vampire. Uh, which is neat, uh, and he have terrific stat lines to start with, and he can get better. Uh, he also have Cosphere, I mean, he's a vampire, for God's sake. He's immune to psychology, and he cannot leave combat. Uh, he's immune to poison like the other undeads, and he has the no pain special rule, uh, so he treats stunned as knocked down. In the revised rules, this cannot be used in pair with the uh, helmet, but in the old rules, it could. And uh, a vampire with a spear is something to be scared of, because when you charge him, he will strike first. 
yeah, uh, you put a lot of oomph into your vampire. He's supposed to be the main guy of this warband, and everyone else is just there for support. Uh, and uh, if you give him sprint, running like uh, dire wolves along with him helps a lot. Uh, they can charge long distances together, uh, so he can get long support. Uh, speaking of fast warbands, we have the Skaven. The Skaven are the rat people. Uh, they have uh, they can have up to 20 models in their warbands, so that's a lot of models uh, compared to the other warbands. Uh, they also have uh, quite the access to henchmen and heroes, starting with the Assassin Adept. He had good stat lines, good rules. Uh, he had the rule perfect killer, uh, so he gets all, an extra minus one modifier to armor save on the enemy. Uh, in a total of minus two, since he's strength four. Movement six, so he's fast. Initiative five, so he's bound to do some diving charges. And leadership seven, which is the maximum for Skaven. So, uh, Skaven warbands, they're not so brave. Then we have the Black Skaven. You can have up to two. Uh, pretty much the same stat lines, except one less uh, leadership and one less, less skill. Uh, you can have an Eshian Sorcerer, uh, which is a wizard. Uh, he has the same stat lines as a Verminkin, pretty much. Just one more leadership. Uh, Verminkin are like uh, clan rats, if you know what their stats are like. And then we have Night Runners. You can have up to two of these. They have terrible weapon skill. They have good Balisa skill, starting on three. Uh, initiative four, leadership four. So they are your like least brave warriors uh, amongst a motley crew of uh, cowards. The Skaven skill list. Uh, the Adept can have all kinds of skills. So... Combat shooting, academic, strength, speed, and special. Uh, Black Skaven, combat shooting, strength, speed, and special. So you can build your Adept and your Black Skaven to killer machines in one way or another, be it by shooting or by co- oh, by going close quarters. Uh, then we have the Warlock Engineer, like my book says, because it's misprinted. Uh, the Eshin Sorcerer can have academic, speed, and special skills. Uh, whilst the Night Runners can have combat shooting and special. And these special skills uh, for the Skaven are the Black Hunger, which activate at the beginning of your turn. The hero gets plus one attack and plus D3 to his total move to his profile. So if they get if they roll a three on this D3, you get movement nine, so 18 inches charge or run or 27. I think, yeah, 27 inches if you use the rule Sprint. Uh, But there's a downside to this rule as well. Uh, At the end of the turn, you suffer D3 strength 3 hits with no armor saves allowed. So it is a good thing to use if you feel like a cornered rat. Uh, So you get a little boost to your stat lines. And if you think you're just going to die anyways, just use it. Uh, or if you have this survivability, like like multiple wounds and high toughness, you can use it more freely depending on how many wounds you suffer from it. Then you have tail fighting, uh, which allows you to, to use a knife, sword, or shield in your tail, giving you the appropriate bonus. Uh, you have the skill wall runner, which makes you able to run up walls uh, without taking initiative test when climbing. Uh, but it, it doesn't let you run up the walls. You just don't need to take an initiative test when climbing. Uh, then you have infiltration, 
you can place your warrior anywhere on the battlefield as long as it's out of sight and not within 12 inches of any enemy models. If both players have the same infiltrate special rule, then roll a d6 uh, and the lowest sets up first. And then we have the Art of Silent Death. If a warrior has the Art of Silent Death, you can fight unarmed without penalties uh, and it counts as having two weapons, so you get plus one attack. Also, you roll critical hits on fives and sixes, not just six. This can be used in conjunction with the Eshian Fighting Clause, so you get plus two attacks instead of one. Also, uh, getting critical hits on fives or six are going to be deadly, especially if you use the optional rules from the rulebook for bladed weapons. And speaking of fighting class, uh, their stat lines are strength is user, they use them in close combat, they come in a pair, so you get plus one attack. You get plus one initiative when you try to climb with them. Uh, you get parry along with a reroll for a failed attempt. And they're cumbersome, so you cannot switch to any other weapons when you use these in an entire battle. So you're stuck with fighting claws if you have them. Uh, then we have weeping blades, uh, which are a pair of swords, so you get plus one attack. Uh, you also get parry, like a sword does. Uh, and I also have the venomous special rule, and they're covered in a permanent coat of black lotus. And uh, black lotus, uh, if you roll a six to hit, then you wound automatically. No need to roll. Then we have the blowpipe, range 8, strength 1, and a positive save modifier, just like the daggers. Uh, their special rules are poison and stealthy, so they have black lotus. Uh, and if you are hidden and use the blowpipe, you are stealthy. If you shoot at a target, they can take an initiative test in order to spot the fire in Skaven. If the test is successful, it no longer counts as hidden, otherwise you're still hidden. And then we have the Warp Lock Pistols. Uh, range 8, Strength 5. So in a total, the save modifier is minus 3. Uh, and they fire every other turn, just like normal pistols. Then we go to the henchmen of the group. Uh, we have Verminkin. Uh, 20 gold each, move 5, initiative 4, leadership 5, weapon skill, strength and toughness 3. So they're basic vermins. Then we have the giant rats. Uh, 15 gold crowns. A piece, they're sheep, they're numerous uh, and expandable. Their rules are pack size, so you can recruit as many giant rats as you wish, and they don't gain experience as they're animals. And then you can have up to one rat ogre. It's an expensive beast, clocking in on 210 gold crowns. Movement 6, strength and toughness 5, 3 wounds and 3 attacks. He does have leadership 4, which makes him less durable, uh, since he does have stupidity. But if you have a hero within 6 inches of him, a Skaven hero, that is, he is not subject to stupidity anymore. He causes fear, I mean he's big. Also, he's big, so he has the large special rule. But he does not gain experience because he's too stupid for that. And uh, Skaven Warbands can be used in a lot of ways, actually. Uh, you can play the shooting game uh, by using a lot of slings and throwing stars and... Uh, relevant skills to throw more throwing stars and uh, using other equipment like uh, like people know sling spam gets boring so please don't sling spam unless you you like it of course do it but it's not fun to face unless you like uh, an uh, unless you do like a challenge of course uh, but there 
a lot of them have a lot of uh, strength and combat skills. Uh, so at least the assassin and the black skaven, they're good fighters. Uh, so I, I like to see them going up close and personal and utilizing their high speed and their initiative to do diving charges on their enemies. And there are skills to help this out. So playing Skaven uh, pretty narratively can be quite fun and devastating uh, on the battlefield, to be honest. I mean, you can play very stealthy, utilizing your speed and hiding to get your guys into position. You can use your giant rats as cannon fodder or to run up close and make the enemy unable to run so you can get into position quite faster. Uh, then there's there's the spells. Uh, they have a number of devastating spells. Uh, some of them give you extra extra giant rest for free. So they're fun, Asian sorcerers. Uh, otherwise, just just do what you like about Skaven. But uh, going with the assassin route, that way to go is quite fun to play. So I think that's about it for the warbands and their basics and their not-so-deep tactics. And uh, let's go on to the next part. Uh, I got the question before uh, of how I have stayed motivated for such a long time in the game. And I threw together a list. And uh, this is what made me stay motivated for such a long time in this game. A good narrative, something to aim towards. Uh, it doesn't have to be something deep. It can be like, uh, I when, when I play my Marienburgers, for example, I aim to gain as much warp stone as I can to help my representative to the throne and help her get the crown. Or it could be something like, if I play Skaven, my aim is to kill as many enemy heroes as I can, especially leaders like being a good assassin or whatever. Or it could be game-mastered campaigns. Uh, so uh, a game-master can write up special scenarios or uh, add uh, certain NPCs to uh, to the games, uh, spice it up a bit, uh, like spicing up scenarios, be it by having monsters suddenly appear just like they would in a uh, random happening result, or uh, just write a cool, memorable scenario. And spicing up scenarios, it, it, it can help a lot, uh, be it by role-playing during games. Uh, you don't need to have actual dialogues and that kind of role-playing, but more like actions. This character, how would he act in this situation? Is he aware of everything? Is he aware of the sneaking skaven behind the other side of the wall? I mean, because you are aware as a player doesn't mean that the warrior is aware himself. You can play to that if you want to. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Uh, but it does make games more memorable. And uh, in a long-term campaign uh, with friends, it's uh, these are the memorable parts. Regarding spicing up scenarios, you can add deeper objectives uh, rather than I'm going to pick up uh, the, this number of stones or just take the enemy out. There are a lot of scenarios out there written by by fans, uh, some whom got published in the in the Town Crier magazine. Some of them got published in the Fanatic Online, and a lot of them are 
available on uh, broheim.net so go check it out uh, there's also a lot of scenarios on the Mordheim Facebook group uh, there's uh, there's been contests regarding scenario writing and everything so go check them out uh, I hope that you won't be disappointed then we have endless campaigns uh, endless campaigns is like you don't have an ending just when when you stop playing that's when the campaign ends really uh, I've played a few endless campaigns uh, so you just bring whatever warband you have that, that you have played since the campaign started uh, sometimes it means that if uh, if I play with a friend uh, my warband may be way more experienced since I have I might have 15 or 20 games in my bag and he have played only two games so this makes the games a bit uneven and thus in uh, in our endless campaigns as we call them we have played about three or four warbands per player just in case someone has a weak warband you can pick one of your own weak warbands to play against them unless they don't mind going up against a super strong warband and getting a sweet sweet underdog bonus Something else to do is to try out new settings uh, and build fitting warbands to the setting. Some uh, some ideas are Lustria uh, and uh, let's say uh, Karak Eight Peaks or Karak Asgal, uh, the Dwarven Keeps. If you play in Lustria, uh, Lizardmen and Dark Elves fit right in. If you play Karak Eight Peaks, then Night Goblins, Dwarves, and Skaven are perfect warbands to play. So just look into the setting and see which warbands are most natural in the setting and try to play those warbands. This uh, this also brings the whole thing of enjoying to build and convert new miniatures and warbands for your for your games. Uh, it's always fun to build. Uh, people like me, I love to convert, so uh, building a new warband uh, opens up many new doors for me and playstyles. Uh, you could also have league-style games, uh, having one day a week or every second week when you play uh, and you escalate the whole things. Uh, you can have uh, weekend campaigns with a start and an end, like say you play five games and then you have a finale. The finale can be like a free-for-all game where the final one stands wins, or there could be a NPC warband in the middle, uh, the whole the whole campaign can be surrounded around a plot of uh, of a cult or something, much like the campaign played by, uh, I think it was in Fanatic Online, uh, where they played uh, the campaign Thy Soul to Keep. Sometime I will cover this campaign, uh, because it's one that I would love to play myself. Uh, but they had a, an ending scenario where they had an NPC final boss in the middle of the board. So it was kind of cool. Apart from weekend campaigns and such things, uh, try out house rules. Uh, try to invent your own. Uh, like, I want to grapple this guy and toss him down the balcony or out the window. Yeah, sure. Uh, take a weapon skill roll to hit. Uh, roll a d6 plus strength uh, on both sides. And if you roll over mine, you can throw me out. If I roll over yours, then I just get out from your grip and uh, and I get to strike you back because you used all your opportunity to attack me by tossing me out. Something else, uh, don't try to break the game system unless your group is into that. 
more hemesis is break. Uh, a lot of us know that, uh, and things like this is very subjective. Uh, so there's no like set there, there there's nothing set in stone what's broken and not but that that all depends on the group playing the game uh, so every group should have open dialogues with everyone so you're all somewhat on the same page regarding what you want from a campaign uh, and try to compromise when needed so if someone wants to play a very min max warband and this is considered broken by everyone Try to set a few boundaries uh, if you have to. And a good example is a lot of people think that the Skaven Sling Spam is broken and boring to face. Some people love to play it. And if you want to use this, set a few boundaries. Like say that only heroes and one group of up to five Verminkin can use slings. In this way, uh, you minimize the the risks of a sling spam and uh, hopefully the heroes will be built like cool assassins instead of slingers but yeah don't add too many set boundaries uh, or stuff like that because it's still a tactical game so some obstacles will have to be overcome by playing in another special way when you face certain warbands just try not to ruin the game for each other it goes both ways if someone really wants to play in a certain certain way, they should be allowed to do so, because this hobby is for all of us. And now it's time for the obituaries, where we will read about the misfortunate warriors in the streets. Scritchy. His hunting rifle blew up in his face and he fell down to his death from the clock tower. Gruk Elfstaba. Stabbed to death by an elf. Jonesy. A young blood who was there to jump. Dieter, he refused to pay the ogre. If you have any stories which you would like to share with us about your warriors and their fates, send them in to me and uh, I will read them up here. And this is all for now. I thank you all for listening to this and I hope you enjoyed the content. I will have uh, a lot of more content to cover in the coming episodes, and I hope to at least uh, get one episode a month out, actually. Uh, this one did take some time, uh, and uh, I thank you all for having patience with me. Uh, I have a list of content that I'm going to go through, and the next episode I'm going to talk more about hired swords in depth. Uh, I will go through the ones in the rulebook, and most of the official ones, actually. And I might touch upon some fan-made ones or some uh, semi-official ones. And I will also talk about Empire in Flames, which is a setting in Mordheim, which a lot of you people probably knows about. And for those who don't, I will teach you a bit about how it works. And that's it for now, and I thank you all again for your time with me. Uh, until next time, take care.